right, guys, good evening. I hope you guys are all doing well. As Sue said, my name's Ollie. And I don't know if you were here last week, but Bodders, uh, he spoke about time. And if you missed it, it's on the website. It's well worth listening to. But one of the things he, he challenged us on was this idea of, of always being present to the moments that we have, of not wishing time away, but of, of using the time that we have in front of us. And it reminded me of something, something from about 15, 20 years ago, before we had like phones and tablets in the same way that we do at the moment. And um, it was something called boredom. And uh, I don't know if you can remember that, where sometimes you literally had nothing to do at all. And it might be that you, uh, some, some of us probably, we can't even remember that far back, but uh, you might have been at the supermarket or in a coffee shop or something like that, and you just stood there in the queue and you kind of just got to stand there. And then maybe if you're feeling really crazy, you might talk to the person in front or behind of you. Um, but there was definitely some boredom. And I remember one time when I was young, I had to go with my mum to, to her work at the hospital where she worked at. And she had some stuff to sort out. And so I was just hanging out in the staff room on my own. And I was bored. I was a young boy, no TV to watch, no like games to play on, not even a book to read or anything like that. I was just really bored. And I remember looking over and the window was open in the staff room and there was this little bird that was kind of thinking about coming inside. And I remember thinking I had this amazing idea. I was like, I know who would love to see this little bird, my mum. And I was like, I should go and tell her, but I was like, I don't want the bird to escape. So as the bird like slowly made it its way inside, I slowly made my way towards the window and then really quickly shut the window, sprinted off down the corridor, found my mum, brought her back to see my amazing discovery. And unsurprisingly, the bird is freaking out. Um, it's flying all over the place, poo everywhere. You name it, it's got a nice bit of bird poo on it. Great for a hospital. But anyway, don't worry, the bird did eventually get out. It was okay. I just got in quite a bit of trouble. But that's basically what happened when I got bored. I'd, I'd find something to do. But unfortunately, the, the reality is, even with our phones and, and different stuff today, there are still definitely slower days in adult life, aren't there? Like the days when the most exciting thing to report is just like the build-up of bin juice in the top of your bin when you're like taking that out. Or, um, or maybe that just like ever-growing list of life admin that at some point you're going to get around to do it, but it just keeps on going. Life can be quite slow sometimes. And so in the midst of that, like Bodhi said last week, part of following Jesus is us remaining present to the moments that we have, not wishing them away. And so I guess the question is, what, what does it look like for us to follow Jesus in the mundane, on the days when it's not quite as exciting? Maybe you're at the desk um, in the office and just waiting for that clock to really slowly get to five o'clock, or you're at the library and you just couldn't be more fed up of revision, or maybe you've been looking after the kids all day and you're feeling pretty sleep deprived and maybe even a little bit lonely. Or maybe you're not really loving your job and you're wondering what direction you're going in. Or maybe even on paper, everything is actually great. But there's just this small part of you that wonders like, is this it, God? Have I, have I done the right thing? Should I have done something else? Like, how do we follow Jesus in those kind of moments? Because there's, there's moments when it is easy to follow Jesus and to be present to what he might want to do. Like moments where you get a bit of a buzz and you're like, yes, this is what it's about. But then it doesn't necessarily feel like that every day or, or even every week. 
And then on, on top of that, it's one thing to follow Jesus when everything's going well for you and it feels great and life feels good. But then how do you follow Jesus when you've hit a real low and life feels hard and circumstances might even be painful? Like, How do you follow Jesus then? And um, they're big questions, aren't they? And we could spend a lot of time talking about all those things. And unfortunately, I hate to break it to you, I don't have the answer to probably any of those questions. But there's, there's a Bible verse that I've been really struck by recently. And I think it really speaks into some of these questions. And so we're going to take a little look at it together. It's in 1 Thessalonians, a letter in the Bible. And it's going to be coming up on the screens. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 to 18, it says this, Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now we'll come back to that in a second, but we find these, these verses in a letter that an early follower of Jesus called Paul, he, he wrote it and he actually started this church with some friends. So he knew these guys that he was writing to and he really cared about them. And if you read the rest of 1 Thessalonians at some point, you kind of get the impression that Paul is responding to questions that they've actually asked him. Maybe like through a letter themselves or um, through a person or something like that. But we don't have that half of the conversation. We only have what Paul wrote. And so it means we have to dig a little bit to try and figure out what questions were they asking him. But you kind of get from, from what Paul is saying to them that a good chunk of their concerns were about the future, about what was to come. Because basically these guys... They, they'd been told about Jesus by Paul and some of his friends. They'd come to know Jesus. He'd taught them a little bit of stuff, said, oh, at some point Jesus is going to come back. And then he'd left them to it. And then life had happened, basically, and it had got hard. And they were being persecuted. Some of their friends had been killed. And Jesus, as well, hadn't returned yet. And so they're freaking out a little bit. They're like, what do we do? What's, this, what's going to happen? And so it seems like they were asking questions a little bit like this. Like what about our friends who have died? Have they missed out on Jesus? Or what about us? We're being persecuted. If we die soon, will we miss out on something? Or what about if this happens? What about that? And essentially, like, they were worried about the future. They were worried about what might happen. And so Paul, in this little section, he's responding to those questions. And he essentially says, guys, don't worry about the future. Everything is going to be okay. You can actually trust Jesus for the future, but what you guys need to focus on is the here and now, how to follow Jesus in your day-to-day -day lives. And that is where our few verses are, where it says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I think this verse is really helpful for us here today because I know I probably do sometimes have one eye on what's in front of me and another eye on the future slightly, maybe a week or a month or a year down the line. Or maybe even sometimes I've got just two eyes on the future. I'm not even fully paying attention to what's in front of me. And sometimes we can probably all find ourselves thinking things like this. Oh, when, when work gets less busy, then I'll be able to focus a bit more on God. Or when the kids leave home, then we'll be able to spend some time on our marriage. Or when my exams are over or my degree is finished, then I'll take my faith a bit more seriously. Then I'll get stuck in at church. Or when I buy this car or have a nicer house, then I'll feel content, I'm sure. Or maybe just feeling so fixated on what God might want to do with us at some point in the future that actually it stops you being able to think too much about what he might want to do with you today. 
in the here and the now. Because the problem is, if we're always waiting for God to do something at some point in the future, we may never see him do anything in the present. We might miss it completely. Like We can look back on what God has done, and we can look forward with hope to the future. But actually, the present is the only place we've got to really know the life that Jesus has promised us. That's where we can know it. And so we're going to work through these verses a little bit for the next um, 10 minutes or so and look at how actually they might answer some of these questions. And so the first bit says rejoice always. And this seems like a bit of a strange command, doesn't it? It feels a little bit like that moment where maybe you're not feeling great and someone just tells you to be happy. Anyone had that before? And like, does it ever actually do anything other than make you less happy and more frustrated with the person who said it to you? Or... I don't know, a little bit of confession from me. I don't know if anyone else is here is, is guilty of this. Who here at sometimes maybe could be guilty of being a bit too much of an advice giver at times? Anybody? Yeah, a few hands. Anyone getting an elbow from the person next to them? Maybe sometimes someone really shares something with me and they open up about what, what they're finding hard. And I respond by coming up with this really good solution that they probably haven't thought about yet. Um, or maybe just tell them to look on the bright side. And it's almost like sometimes we picture someone's got this like happy button. And if they just press it, everything is going to be okay. Don't worry, I don't actually think that. But it might be helpful to know that this isn't actually what the Bible's saying here. It's not saying that. Paul isn't just telling us to be happy. In fact, in another one of his letters uh, called Philippians, Paul tells, tells the church to do a very similar thing, but he uses three more words. So instead of saying rejoice always. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And, you know, this is important because Paul isn't just telling these guys to get over whatever circumstances they might be going through and just to be happy, just to press their happy button and everything will be okay. He's actually telling them to find their joy from somewhere outside of their circumstances, from the Lord, that, that, that there is a way to do that, to rejoice not necessarily in what's going on, but in who God is, in his goodness and his love, to rejoice in the fact that, that Jesus passionately loved them so much that he died for them, to rejoice that God has promised that no matter what circumstances they're going through, that he's, he's going to be with them in it, to rejoice not necessarily in the other stuff, but in him. Because the reality is, if you've read about Paul before, he was, he was beaten, he was tortured, um, he was shipwrecked. What about you? I haven't been shipwrecked. He was nearly killed a few times. He was thrown out of cities. He knew what, what life on the like, tough side could be like. And he knew that the church he was writing to were, were being persecuted, that they weren't having it easy either. And so it's not like he's saying, oh, like, come on, guys, like, look on the bright side. At least you're going to be in the Bible one day. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't saying that. He was saying... Like, even when things are crashing down around you, there is a way to rejoice in him. Even when your circumstances might point to something completely different, you can actually rejoice in him. That's kind of what he's getting at. And you know, there's loads of us here today. I'm sure some of us will be going through some, some pretty hard stuff that I can't imagine. And what this verse isn't trying to do is, is belittle those things. Like they're, they're real and they're hard. But Paul does seem to suggest that even when your circumstances would give you no reason to rejoice, even when there's nothing there, there is actually a way for us to rejoice in the Lord, that that is possible. Not some kind of like fake, smiley, happy button kind of joy, but something far deeper and more significant than that. 
And with this verse, the, there was a Bible scholar called John Stott, and he, he put it this way. He said, Paul is not issuing an order to be happy, but an invitation to worship. Now, some of you might remember something that was in the news about, about 10 years ago. In 2010, there was something called the Chilean mining disaster. And basically, 33 miners, they, the kind of mine they were in, caved in. And they got trapped underground with very little food or water for, for 69 days. They eventually got rescued, but they were down there for 69 days. And I can't even imagine what that must have been like to have been stuck down there, not even knowing whether you'd ever get rescued. But, but they were down there. And there was a real mixture of guys who got stuck, ranging in age from young to old, and then also in terms of their faith. But apparently, like quite quickly, after they were down there, all 33 of them began having these like group daily uh, prayer and worship meetings together where they would pray together and they would sing, they would worship. And one of the miners, who, he was a Christian, and he helped lead some of these meetings, he said this. He said, in the beginning, there was such chaos and desperation. We all reacted in so many different ways. But through praying, God changed our hearts and we came together in one purpose. We began to lose our fears and gained hope. We began to feel the presence of this friend, of this invisible miner. We couldn't see him, but he was down there with us. We weren't 33 down there, but we were 34 and we were all very clear about that. And as you can see, they, I think there's going to be a picture coming up. They did eventually get out and... And it's, it's an amazing story. And it's almost like with those guys, their circumstances got so bad that they realized they, they actually had to look to God. There was no joy to be found in what they were going through. They had to look to God for it. And obviously, it's, it's unlikely we're going to find ourselves in that particular situation. But the reality is there are times when, when life is hard. And it might be that you're, you're over here. And, um, and actually, when you're over here, life feels good. When you're over here, it might be that you love your job. It might be that you've got a great set of friends and family around you. It might be that you're in a great relationship or, or whatever. Over here, life feels good. But then there are also times when actually you're, you're over here. And life feels hard over here. It may be that you've gone through this really messy breakup. It may be that actually you, you really don't like your job. You might be grieving. You might be uh, feeling really lonely or really low. Loads of other things. But over here, life feels hard. But what the Bible tells us is that whether we're over there or whether we're over there or whether we're somewhere in the middle, God is actually with us in all of those places. He, he doesn't change, even though our circumstances might change completely. He doesn't. And the Holy Spirit is in us. He knows exactly what we're going through and he's, he's with us to help us in it. And so when we rejoice and when we worship in the middle of those situations, we can actually know his love and his peace and his joy, just like those miners did, even when your circumstances might not feel like that at all. So rejoice always is the first instruction, and then the second one is pray continually. And other translations you might have heard before call it pray, praying without ceasing. And I don't know about you, but if I was to reflect back on this last week that I've just had, I probably wouldn't describe it as a week of ceaseless prayer. I don't know about you guys, maybe some of you might have done, but that definitely wouldn't have been my story. And in a similar way to the first verse, sometimes I, I read this and I'm like, really, Paul? Like praying continually, nonstop? Well, that seems so far beyond me, I'm not even sure that that's possible. This, this must be one of those verses that he wrote for like monks 
and nuns, the people who actually spend all their time praying. This can't be for me. This must have been one of those. And it's easy to kind of see that phrase, think it sounds quite impressive, and then move on. But unfortunately for us, Paul wasn't a monk, and he wasn't writing to monks. So he was actually instructing a church on how to live in the present moment, how to follow Jesus. And so we have to believe that if it says it in here in the Bible, then with the help of the Holy Spirit, this is possible for me and you as well. Because what Paul can't be getting at here is for us to be in a constant state of what we usually think of as praying. I don't know what pops to mind for you guys when you think about prayer. Um, It might be that you're in a a particular place. It might be a bedroom or a study or outdoors somewhere, somewhere that you, you think of, that's where I would usually pray. And it might be that you do it in a certain way with your eyes closed, hands together, on your knees, whatever. And usually you're probably praying for specific things. It might be that when you pray, you pray for your day ahead or you pray for your friends and family or or different things that are going on. But usually when we think about prayer, it's a specific time in a specific place and for specific things generally, which is why the idea of someone telling you to do that all the time, it seems ridiculous because you're like, Paul, I don't think you've seen my schedule. I've got quite a busy life. I'm not sure that's possible. And on top of that, I don't know about you, but I find it really hard in the middle of a busy day or when I'm at work to to keep coming back to God in my mind. I find it a challenge. It doesn't come naturally to me. And um, a friend of mine, he's a doctor, and he was telling me that he often felt like God dropped him off at the hospital gate before work and then um, picked him up at the end of the day. And in between, in like the busyness of the day, he would zoom from like one thing to another thing. And then before you know it, the day was gone. And any thoughts of God had been pretty rare, if any, at all. And I'm sure a load of us can probably relate to that. I definitely do. And I work at a church. And um, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard when stuff's busy to keep coming back. But Paul's life was busy as well. He was constantly traveling, planting churches, telling people about Jesus, getting kicked out of cities, all kinds of different things. And yet in the midst of that, he says, pray continually. Which must mean that somehow prayer doesn't necessarily have to be these like individual conversations that we have with God, but it's more of this ongoing dialogue. And so I want us to have a think about it like texting someone. And think about it initially like when you text someone that you don't know so well, maybe more of a distant friend or something like that, it's usually for a specific reason. Um, and you kind of introduce yourself slightly. You might be like, hey, Ben, uh, it's Ollie here from Trent Vineyard, just wondering if I could borrow your lawnmower. Mine's broken. Um, and then you might even sign out and be like, thanks, Ollie. And it's for a specific time and like a specific purpose. And then compare that to the way that you might text one of your best mates or your spouse or something like that. Where the text conversation isn't necessarily for a specific reason. It's more of just this ongoing chat that never really begins or ends. You don't need to introduce your message. You don't need to be like, Hi there, husband. I hope you've had a wonderful day. I'm just wondering if you could pick up some groceries on the way home or anything like that. You don't have to do that. You just text each other. And it may be that with your friends, you're going through your day, you see something that reminds you of them and and you just drop them a text or you send them a photo of it or something like that. Or maybe uh, their sport team wins and so you drop them a text or probably more likely their team loses and you drop them a text to rub it in slightly. Or you know that your friend has got a really tough week coming up and so you just send them a text saying, hey, hope your week is okay thinking about you or maybe you've had a rubbish day and you just want to reach out to someone and so you just send them a text being like sorry I just need to let you know I've had a rubbish day would love to catch up soon or anything like that 
And it may be that you don't actually text anyone that much. I don't know what your texting habits are like. But hopefully you see the comparison with what Paul is getting at. Moving from seeing prayer as always in specific times or places to more of this like actual lifestyle, to more of like a reflex or a response, not always in a specific place or a specific time. Because we can often think that our prayers maybe need to begin with something like, dear Lord, and then end in amen. And whatever we say in, in the middle, that counts. But anything either side of that, sorry, you've, you've missed out slightly. But praying continually looks like this ongoing conversation throughout our day. It might start at some point and then stop and then pick up at another point. Like when we're faced with challenges throughout our day, bringing those things to him. It might be that you go into a meeting which, which you're really nervous about and as you're walking into it, just for like two seconds, you just throw that up to him. It might be that a family member um, who is ill, they, they pop to mind and you really quickly just, just pray for them and then move on. It may be that you're about to go into an exam or something like that and again, you're feeling nervous and you just you offer that nervousness to him and then you, you go for it. Little by little throughout the day, just, just bringing God into those moments. And, you know, this, this will take practice. I don't think we're all going to necessarily leave this, this room tonight and enter into this amazing constant stream of prayer where it just always feels really good. Um, I don't think that's going to happen for me. We, we're going to have to practice at it. We're going to have to work at it. But we can begin somewhere. So he says, rejoice always, pray continually. And then the third of these little statements is give thanks in all circumstances. And again, I don't know about you, but it's like, great. Thanks, Paul, for another exceptionally easy command. Um, I'm sure I can just nail that one, just like the other two. Always be thankful the whole time. Great. Um, but if you've read the Bible much before, you'll know this is something that pops up all over the Bible, the idea of thankfulness or gratitude. And it's essential because it postures our heart away from like what I deserve and what I'm entitled to. And it postures it outwards towards, towards other people and, and the stuff that I have to be grateful for and the stuff I've been given. And I imagine that's not a surprise to anyone. I'm sure we would probably all agree gratefulness and, and thank, thanking people, that's a good thing. Like one of the first phrases that we teach to children is thank you. It doesn't necessarily matter if they mean it or not or they're looking at you. If they say it, then that's, that's all good. We know that it's important, don't we? But it's worth saying when passages like this talk about giving thanks, it's actually getting at something more than just like a general gratitude for what we have. That's it's not a bad thing. That's great. But actually, giving thanks when it's talked about in the Bible is more something directed at God. Because I guess in a similar way to rejoicing, like when we talked about that, it has to be based on more than like the stuff that we happen to own at any one time or the people that we've got around us. Because like we said, there's times when you're over here and you feel like you've got loads of things to be thankful for. And it's easy. But then there's times when you're, you're back over here and you can't really think of anything that you would particularly want to thank God for because life feels hard and just nothing comes to mind. But yet, Paul tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. Some of you, you might have heard of this lady before who's going to pop up on the screen. She's called Corrie Ten Boom. And you might have even heard this story before, but it's amazing. She was this amazing Christian lady who during the Second World War, she, she helped Jews to escape from the Holocaust, basically. So she would like hide them in her house with her family and things like that. And eventually she was in prison for it. Her and her sister, they got sent to a concentration camp. And um, there's this moment in the book that kind of tells you about her life where they, they get 
taken to this room in the concentration camp that's their new room to, to stay in. And it is absolutely full of fleas. And at which point, it kind of pushes Corrie over the edge a little bit. And she turns to her sister and she says, how can we live in such a place? Like, how can we do it? And her sister, like, grabs her Bible and actually comes to this exact verse that we're, we're looking at. And she says to Corrie, she says, God's given us the answer. This is actually how we can make it, by giving thanks in all circumstances. And then they do it. Like, in the middle of this concentration camp, they, um, in the middle of this, this room, they start to give thanks. And they thank God for like the mattress that they've got to sleep on. And they thank God for um, the Bible that they've got. They thank God for each other. And then Corrie's sister insists that they thank God for the fleas. And I think, understandably, at that point, Corrie puts her foot down. She's like, no. She's like, I'm not thanking God for these fleas that are biting me whilst we're doing this. That's, that's too much. But her sister kind of persuades her and she goes with it. And then... A little while passes by, they've been at the concentration camp for a little while and they've had loads of secret Bible studies in their room and other things. And they find out the reason they've had so much freedom, the reason that they've been able to have those meetings and no one's known about it, the reason that their room hasn't been searched and their Bible's discovered and they've still got them is because the guards don't want to go anywhere near their room because of the fleas. And you can imagine Corrie's pretty humbled. The thing that she desperately didn't want to thank God for was the, the one thing that actually has been helping them. And it's, it's an amazing story. And I guess in the context of this, this verse, it poses us the question, what does it look like for me and you practically to give thanks in all circumstances? It might be that you, you keep a journal or something and you might want to begin or end each day just by like jotting a few things down. Uh, you might want to set a reminder on your phone. I've got loads of reminders on my phone, but to actually set one at a certain time that's like, like be thankful or, or think of stuff to give thanks for. You might want to do this with someone else. You might want to grab someone that you're close with and be like, why don't we try and do that together? To actually like, when we see each other, say like, what, what do you want to be thankful for? Or for me, sometimes if I'm feeling a little bit on the edge or just a bit stressed at the end of a day, um, on my drive home from work, I listen to this like lead prayer that we've mentioned a few times called the daily examine, which takes you through it. And there's this one line in it, which always challenges me. Um, and so I just want to share it with you guys. It's in the middle of this little paragraph. So it says this. It says, now let's look, I think it's going to come up, hey, there we go, um, now let's look to the past few hours that have just gone by, begin to think of every detail you can to be thankful for, if it was a joy, give thanks to the Lord for it, if it was a sad part of your time or last hours, then thank the Lord for another opportunity to trust him, through the lens of gratitude, see the last few hours, now, I don't know about you, but I find that challenging every time I hear it. Basically, whatever kind of day or afternoon I've had, or maybe more importantly, however I'm feeling about my day or afternoon, coming to God with this sense of gratitude and thanking him, not necessarily for the things themselves, but the, th the fact that he is with us and that we can trust him with ourselves and with our circumstances. It might be a little prayer at the beginning of the day, something like, God, I'm, I'm dreading today. And I'm really nervous about seeing that particular person, but I thank you that, that you're with me and you love that person even when I find it hard to. Or God, I, I can't see the way through this situation. I don't actually know what to do. But I thank you that, that you know, that you know about this and that you define me far more than this situation does. Or loads of other things, but somehow each of us finding a way to, to give thanks in all circumstances because we, we can actually trust him and he knows what we're going through. 
So they're Paul's three little things. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And um, nice and easy little things to try and figure out. And, you know, Paul could have just said that and stopped there. Like there's, there's quite a lot in there for us to have a think about. I know there is for me. But remember, the people that he was writing to, they were people who really wanted to follow Jesus, but they found themselves distracted by questions about the future and what might happen. And so Paul, when he's writing to them, he's trying to help them to actually live in the now, live today. And so he lands those like three statements with this last little sentence. And he says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And now in, in my, my role here, I get to hang out with a lot of teenagers and young people and young adults. And I often hear people wrestling with really tough questions like, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my career or, or when I finish uni or something like that? And I'm only like slightly beyond those guys, just slightly. And, and I'm still asking the same question. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I haven't figured it out yet. I'm like, what's God's will for the rest of my life? And then there's people a little bit ahead of me and maybe a more middle section of life. And, um, and they're asking the same questions. They're like, did I choose the right career? Should I, should I try something different? God, what, what's your will for this? And then I know some ret- people who have recently retired and they're asking exactly the same question. They're like, God, what's your will for this next little bit? And you know, it, like it's good to ask those questions. Like it's a, it's a really good thing. And we want to be people who are actually looking for God to speak and seeking out what, what he might want to do with us. But I think maybe there's a danger there for us as well. That just like the Thessalonians, those guys that Paul was writing to, they got so fixed on the future that actually it made it really hard for them to just live out their faith in Jesus in the, in the here and now. And maybe in a, in a slightly different way, we can struggle with the same thing sometimes. It may be that we're not 100% sure about our job and, and what that looks like. And, and instead of just like initially sticking with it and just living out our faith there or looking for other jobs and then just going for it in there, we, we find ourselves in this like weird middle ground where we're, we're waiting for God to speak, but we're also not fully present to the place that we're in at the moment. Or maybe it's to do with location or, or what's next. You might be finishing uni or you might just be thinking about moving or something like that. And sometimes it can be such a paralyzing question to think about, well, do I do this or do I do that? That actually instead of committing here to Nottingham or, or, or going somewhere else and committing to there, again, you find yourself caught in this middle ground of, of not really being fully present to here, but also not necessarily wanting to go anywhere else at the moment. Or maybe it might just be until you feel like you're doing exactly what God wants and you're doing exactly where he wants you to be, that until you've figured out exactly what your calling might be, that you're kind of holding off. But the problem is, as of yet, that, that day hasn't actually come yet. Or countless other decisions. And I'm, I'm not saying they're easy decisions. They're, they're hard and they're worth really grappling with. And also, like, I, would, I would definitely say we passionately believe that God does speak, that he does want to lead us in situations that, that he's, he's there. But I also think he's, he's wanting to shape us into the kind of people who aren't always in this state of waiting. But people who may actually know that his, his will in our current lives is to, to love God and to love the people around us. And that might be his will for right now in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And so it may be in a similar way to the Thessalonians that me and you might need to hear that. I know that I definitely do. 
that rather than looking ahead to what might be or what might happen or what could happen, we actually look to now. We look to the people and the places and the jobs that we've, we've literally got in front of us at the moment. And we choose to, to rejoice always, to pray continually and to give thanks in all circumstances because that is actually God's will for us. That regardless of what goes on in our days, the, the easy days and also the hard days, we, we find a way to trust in God and to rejoice in him because it is possible. And that we know that it's something that will be pleasing to God and it will be a blessing to the world around us if we can figure it out. 